Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life in the Pit, episode number 71. It is good to be with you once again. It's it's been a week longer than normal since the last episode, and uh, a lot of it had to do with me being out of town for NAM, which I'll, I'll tell you about in just a moment. But first of all, uh, let me just go ahead and say greetings from the past. Uh, this episode is being released on Friday, June 17th, but I am recording it on Saturday, June 11th. And uh, the reason for that is because I am about a day and a half away from uh, having some oral surgery, having a long overdue wisdom tooth plus a, a, a tooth right next to it, second molar being extracted. And, um, you know, they, if you look online, you know, it tells you some things like uh, it's a little bit harder if it's in the lower jaw rather than the upper jaw. Well, that's check for me. It's also a little harder if you are 45 years of age or older. And that's also a check for me. So, <laughs> yay. Um, what a fun lottery to win. Anyways, um, I have good trust in the doctors, and, and I, f- I feel pretty sure that, uh, you know, f- nothing should, nothing to worry about. However, uh, I can't guarantee that I would be able to sit down and record this, uh, any kind of an episode next week. So it's actually a couple weeks before I have a guest even scheduled to be interviewed. Uh, hopefully that'll keep things on time. I, I have a really good guest coming up. Um, but it'll probably be, uh, two weeks from the time this episode releases, if all goes well. Um, mentioned NAM. NAM is, uh, once again, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, it's, uh, National Association of Musical Merchants. And I may have butchered that. I don't have that right in front of me. So it might be music merchants, but, uh, either way, this is something that I would highly recommend you go to at least once. It's in Anaheim every year. It used to be every January while there was a smaller summer NAM in Nashville in the summer, of course. Um, but thanks to the pandemic, that got folded into one event in the summer in NAM, and they have it every year. It's an amazing event. It's also rather overwhelming if you're an introvert like myself. Uh, it's three days of events. Uh, I chose to go two days and certainly there was plenty to do on three, but, you know, two was about all that I could handle emotionally with just thousands of people uh, in one place. Uh, the convention center in Anaheim is is fabulous. I mean, of the, you know, maybe not quite 10 convention centers I've been to uh, across the U.S., I think I like Anaheim's better than any of them. It's just so beautiful and uh, a lot of different interesting buildings. Uh, I think it's just very well suited for this event. Uh, someone told me it's actually the most attended convention in Anaheim, and that's pretty amazing considering literally right across the street is Disneyland, and they have Disney conventions and um, and all kinds of things there. So um, it's I'm just trying to say it's a big event. Why might it interest you, and uh, how would you how would you be able to go? So, you, first of all, let me answer that second question first. In, in order to go, you technically have to. You can't just be a musician. 
you have to own a studio. Actually, if you're a student, you can go. Just All you have to do is just provide the name of your school and, and so forth. Um, if you're a student, you can go. If you're not a student, you do need to have some affiliation. Now, I was able to go because of an event that I was supposed to be playing for through the Music Teachers National Association. Even though that event got canceled, uh, I was still allowed my badge. Um, if you own a recording studio, a professional studio, you can go. Also, I believe if you, if you are a, a teacher affiliated with a university, you can go. And you can actually go to the registration and see what all you have to do to become an AM member. If none of those apply, you can also, uh, if you're friends with anybody who is an owner or you know, a manager of a music store or a recording studio, you can represent them. And you can go. And again, I don't know if you need to go every year, but I would go at least one year. Okay, so what are the things that you can do there? Well, there are workshops everywhere. I mean, so many workshops, I, I double-booked many, many of them and had to choose. Um, if you are a music director and you're into gear, if you're into software, you're into keyboards, you, you want to check it out. Because what you see here is the very latest that all of the major companies have come up with. Uh, for, for example, uh, Yamaha. They have a whole room of all of their products on the third floor. It's just an, um, just an amazing room. And, you know, pretty much name, name your, your brand. You've, you've got it there. And what I love about it, and I'll say this for other instrumentalists, is you can try everything. Um, I went to the Spitfire room where they've got the virtual instruments, you know, amazing orchestral sounds, and put on headphones and realized, hey, these are pretty cool headphones. And I was able to try on other headphones and, and realize the ones that I've had are pretty crappy. And now I can, um, I can try those on. So that, that is really great. I was able to get a lot of ideas of some improvements to my studio, not only as a podcaster, because by the way, if you are into podcasting, they have whole rooms of things just for you. It's like podcasting is definitely something that they're trying to, that these same people that do musical instruments are trying to get a market on. So lots of stuff there. There, um, if you have, like, I'm just going to say, if you're a brass player, pack your mouthpiece and you can try every single instrument there. If you're a string player, you don't. I don't think you need to bring your bow. Just you can try everything there. Guitar. If you play guitar, oh my goodness, there's um, there are four ballrooms on the second floor, and I'm positive that at least one of those ballrooms is entirely guitars. Not even. I mean, hardly. Not even accessories. Just guitars. Um, but of course, they all have. They're all partnered with people. You have amps. You have pedals. And then, like, that's ballroom A, I think, and then most half of ballroom B is the same thing. If you play any kind of, like, a fretted string instrument, that this is a mecca. You can go try the latest and greatest of so many brands and, and all the effects that go with that. Um, so I think it's worth it if that's all you do. But, again, back to the workshops. I was able to, uh, you know, 10 things that interest me about uh, composing, video game composing, and, um, you know, film scoring, 
I was also able to attend ones about private teaching and just the business side. And um, really interesting one that I think a lot of you might find interesting. It doesn't have anything to do with the pit, but a lot of you do this on the side. Um, the latest developments in anti-latency software. So whether you're a teacher or whether you're just trying to play with other member, other musicians, you know, if you're trying to rehearse as a band, really fascinating. Um, and I'll just go ahead and just tell you that there, there are companies out there right now on June 17th or later. Uh, there's nothing to be done for the video yet. Uh, the video is going to be, you know, like basically a half second to a second behind what's actually happening. But the audio is so good, it's almost like if you were on stage about maybe 50 feet from the next musician, the the way you hear that musician is the way you could hear them on Zoom or whatever it is. And it's just a device that you can get. And um, I'm not prepared to tell you any of those companies on this podcast right now. But if you're really interested and you're not able to find the information on Google, I've got it saved. You can send me a message and I'll, I'll gather it together and I'll, uh, I'll help you out any way I can. But uh, there are there are so many workshops. There's so many things that you can try. So this is a longer segment than I had intended. But I just had to rave the praises of Nam um, again. Very, you know, if you're an introvert, it's it's very overwhelming and it's it's also very loud. Uh, there's you know, and if you go anywhere near the drums being played, that's pretty loud. But also, there's I think at a minimum three bands playing on on the campus at any point and you'll you'll be going right by them right by the speakers and it's just it's a very loud event <laughs> and um but it runs like a machine because they've been doing it for years and they've been doing it at this location so uh take a look at 2023 see if that's something you can do and see if you have a means some connections that'll get you a pass and it's very reasonable I, i'm not even sure what the full price is i know it's 50 or less um and you may, you know, depending on your connection, you may be, even be able to go for free. But if you are, you know, if you're a musician of any kind, you got to go at least once. For the rest of this episode, I wanted to come on here and talk, and it's it's sort of unscripted. And that is to say, I have a lot of things I'm going to read. Uh, I don't have an overall arc planned in advance of how this little monologue will go. But it's something that I started... Um, I was just looking at this Facebook post that I that I made on my personal page to a limited audience, very limited audience, back on May 22nd. So, uh, what was that roughly three weeks ago? Well, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, close to four weeks. It was right after I finished my last show, and it's something that had been on my mind for many months, maybe maybe even a year before. But I finally decided to approach this with other musicians. And I started with my local colleagues. And the post blew up. And after that, I went to a group with national and international music directors and got their thoughts. And that post didn't, I wouldn't say blow, it didn't blow up by the same amount. <laughs> but it was very popular. People feel 
very similar to me and have a lot of opinions. And what I thought I would do is I would read, not all of them, because this would be a very long episode, but I'm going to select a few here and there, and maybe just some fragments of some. And, uh, you know, if possible, I'll, I'll maybe comment on some of these things. All right, so here's what I'm talking about. This is to all of you community theater musicians. So I, I spoke a lot to the music directors, but if you play, you know, any instrument in the pit, and even if you're not exclusively in the community theater, but it's something that you do quite a bit, and I'm going to go ahead and assume that it is probably a non-union gig, that one of my goals at some point in the life of this podcast is to bring a guest on representing uh, a musician's union to talk about the union and, and all about it. But uh, you know, a lot of that does involve working in a city that honors the union, where the union functions. I happen to live in a city that is non-union, so any gig that I get in this area will be non-union unless it is a union company like a Broadway tour coming through. So if you are strictly union... Um, I'll say I go ahead and say um, this. The rest of this podcast is not for you, and uh, you know, congratulations. You know, uh, that is you are doing a great job, and I'll I will see you next week. If you are not a union musician, then this is an important conversation, and I and I think it's only part one because it's going to be more of discussion than. And, and I think what I'm going to do for a part two is try to get some other people on here to actually chat out with me. Um, I don't have really many answers or anything concrete to offer. But here's what, what I want to talk about. In my area, and this was my starting point, I'm going to avoid the use of specific numbers. But... The musicians are typically paid per service, like they're paid for a rehearsal or they're paid for, um, you know, a performance. And that pay per service is, first of all, way lower than most other gigs. Like, uh, you know, if you were to go get a wedding or play for a banquet, um, you know, I, I even play once a month at a retirement center where, you know, a lot of people are volunteers. And I get paid more there than I do on a service per theater. And that's not so bad because, like, I go to the retirement center once, or I go to a wedding once, I might add a rehearsal in, and so that's two services. Whereas a theater, uh, if, it's, um, if it's a two- or three-week show, uh, adding rehearsals, I might get anywhere from 10 to 14 services. So that it's a little bit lower per service is going to be understandable. And this is going to be across the nation. You're, you're not going to find per service um, really well-paying gigs in most communities. But the thing that, that really bothered me and bothers me still is that what they are paying in this area has not changed by a dollar in at least 20, maybe 25, maybe 30 years. I think someone told me that they were playing in the late 90s, mid-90s, and getting paid what, what's being offered now. And, so, and, and I think one theater actually may even pay a little less now than they used to. And there's a lot of reasons for that in this area. First of all, 
there used to be one theater in this area 30 years ago that was doing musical theater, and then there were two. Now, just in the city, there's probably, I don't know, four or five. If I go over to Greensboro, there's five, six, or seven. High Point has one. Kernersville has one. Um, this is just the metro area. There are so many theaters and so many shows. And uh, I guess that, uh, you know, uh, the audience, interested audiences haven't really grown. So you're spreading out your audiences and you're probably not selling as many tickets. So there's probably a lot of reasons to go in that. Um, but the fact is today, or I should say last week in California, I paid six sixty nine per gallon for gas. And um, pretty sure when I was there in 1999 that that number was... Mm, to something. That's just a, you know, one example. Uh, the other, but that's not even the relevant example. The other relevant example is that one of the theaters in this area charges, I believe, $9 more per ticket than they did 15 years ago. And yet the musicians are paid exactly the same. So I... I have a lot of things, as, as I've said, kind of hinted at before, I'm doing less theater. And this is one of the reasons. When I was hiring the orchestra for my last show, I felt acutely aware of how low the price was, even though it wasn't the lowest in the area. And, um, and I had a few musicians just say they couldn't do it for that rate. There was a, there was a show that I went to a few years ago where they were paying barely over half the average. It was a, it's a fairly new theater. It's a small space. And, uh, it was kind of an embarrassing low amount they were paying per service. Well, um, you know, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to name the show. I'm not going to call out any musicians. Um, but there was a, there was an instrumentalist in that show that was so out of tune that, you know, even the actors on stage were distracted. People in the audience asked me about it. I, it wasn't my show, so I didn't have to feel, you know, any accountability for that. But I, I thought to myself, this, this is the quality musician that you can expect when you pay half of what everyone else does. And, you know, it, we, we already in community theater are trying to keep convincing the boards to hire live musicians and not go to tracks all the time. Well, when your musicians don't sound nearly as good as the tracked musicians, uh, that's a problem. This area, like many other medium-sized to large metro areas, has plenty of good musicians, but fewer and fewer of them are going to want to pay for the average community theater rate that was 25, 30 years ago. So I just posted about this to start have a discussion started. Um, and I'm just going to start listing, you know, some of the responses. I did ask for some, some suggestions of how to improve all of this. So one of the first uh, important comments, and again, I won't read everything, just going to highlight this one suggestion within this response. Finding a like-minded director. So if you're in an area where this is a similar issue, if you've got multiple theaters, it's just it's finding that one and really trying to collaborate with them more and, and get them to experiment and see how it affects their budget. 
I'm just going to read this response. This, this is from a colleague who was on the podcast uh, earlier, uh, uh, I believe in 2020. I've not taken many of the gigs for this reason. Usually when I take a lower paying one, it's because of the musicians involved. I almost see them going the route of uh, having less shows or uh, with live musicians. If they offered better pay for the shows with live musicians, this would be a compromise. And um, I think that's a, that's a case in point. It's actually something I thought about. Um, one of the suggestions that I have, one of the ideas I have, is yeah, I think it would be better to hire fewer musicians and give them more money than to do what a lot of theaters want, which is to have as full of a book as possible but they've just have this arbitrary number that sometimes they haven't really figured out done the division and realize that this is not really a fair wage. So this is something, this is a bit of a compromise and, and I do this sometimes when necessary. If the, if the budget is a certain fixed amount and it's a matter of division, well, you change the division by changing the number of players. And so it may be, Instead of three reeds, you have one reed. Instead of two trumpets, you have one trumpet. And I've had to do that before for various reasons, but it may, and it may be something that has to happen to have the live experience. By the way, I do apologize for my voice. I am still adjusting from the 60s and 70 degree dry climate of Southern California to the 80s and 90s uh, with humidity back in North Carolina. So uh, been struggling a little bit with, you know, congestion and so forth this week. So again, apologies for that. Another comment from a local colleague. I have been thinking about this topic a lot. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling a music director I can't do this for a certain rate for that rate. I will, however, play for this rate. I know there's a danger of being labeled as difficult or greedy. That's something I, I have no control. Taking lowball offers has pigeonholed for some time, but no more. My time and skill has value. Nothing wrong with putting a high monetary value on it. And I just wanted to respond to that. Yes, you have. if you are able to play these shows well, you have studied for years, you have paid thousands of dollars into your instruments, you have probably paid five figures, maybe even close to six, for your education. Asking for like ten, twenty, thirty dollars more per service you know, and, and, and considering where we're starting from, this, this is nothing to apologize for. And, and, this is, and this is something that I think it's the closest thing that makes me angry. That a lot of the theater boards around here take for granted just how difficult it is to play this music well. What kind of investment you needed to, you need to have made as a musician, and to to basically have that glossed over and not raise the rates for a long time, um, no. While 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 I as the music director, it's it's stressful 
if I'm not able to find musicians because I'm having to field the offers of, I'm sorry, I can't do it for that rate. Uh, I actually, I think a lot of people have turned me down for no disclosed reasons when that was the reason. And some have told me that was the reason. Well, you know, that that's in the moment. It's like, I, I, w- I wish, I wish you would accept that rate, but no, honestly, I, I fully understand you having that, that minimum amount. This response says, before I moved to our current area, I played for and music directed a lot of community theater where I lived in a more rural part of Virginia. It was for free. I did some big name shows, but the reasoning for no payment was the cast is doing this for free. Why wouldn't musicians be giving back to their community by playing for free? I was young and naive and didn't think much of it uh, until I learned that a choreographer on a show I was music directing was getting paid, and I was not. Right before I moved here, I music directed for a community theater production of Newsies. It was fantastic. All live music, all coordinated by myself, and none of us were paid. Not even reimbursement for guests. And many of us were driving as far as an hour to play for six shows and rehearsals, etc. We got so many compliments about how we sounded professional. And when I asked about a possible payment or gas reimbursement, it was a sorry, but no. Maybe it's one thing if you aren't a career actor and are doing community theater as a hobby. But to me, it's another when you expect high-quality live music and typically source that from music majors or local music teachers who actually do this for a living. Some musicians were hobbyists, but they were definitely in the minority. I haven't done a show since then, and it's been four years, and I'm amazed to learn that musicians here get paid. Regardless of the rate, to me, that is a step up. But there should be a shift in how communities view their artists, hobbyists, or not. Good entertainment comes with labor, and that labor should be compensated fairly. So <laughs> I just say uh, amen to all that. That is great. Uh, it's, it's sad that there are communities that don't pay their musicians. So one of my responses to that was, I, well, actually, I had two rebuttals to that line of thinking. Community theaters are, sorry, commu- actors in community theater are, for the most part, coming from a pool of people who are not actually trained as actors. There are some people who used to be in New York, have used, they have their theater degrees, and, and uh, it, it's something they still love doing, but they don't do it you know, full-time. Um, these are people who are truly doing this for fun. It is a community. Um, no, no director you know, wants the music director to go hire people who just play their instrument as a hobby, though. They all understand the necessity of skill, and the players who can handle the note reading and imp- improvisational requirements of musical theater that have sp- years of specialized training. And my second rebuttal of this is community theater actors might be asked to leave for behavioral reasons, but never for not being up to the director's task. A musician is expected to at least approximate the sound on a cast recording and demonstrate a high level of competence that cannot and should not be expected from a volunteer. And if the musicians are not volunteer, they need to be paid with a more respectful number. And this, by the way, this comes from an old business adage that I've heard many times, and that is, work for what you're worth or give it away. Don't work for cheap. 
if you want to do something and they can't afford it, go ahead and offer to do it for free. Don't tell anybody because that's that's not good news to get around. Um, you know, have people say that you were paid like everybody else. But when you accept a cheap pay regularly, you incentivize the person paying to keep paying that rate. So um, that's just an aside there. But But kind of back to my point here. Yes, community actors are largely volunteer. A lot of them are very good actors. But what what do you think would be easier? For me to go take three pit musicians, give them a script, give them some directorial instructions, and have them do a pretty good job on stage, or to take three actors and see if they can learn how to play various instruments in the pit well enough to play in the show. So I'm just saying these are apples and oranges skills, and that's not to demean that involved, but as far as what is expected, it it's just different. And I don't think... If you're a musician, please don't apologize for asking for pay even if the actors are not. Because as this person said, and I can attest that's true, sound designer gets paid, the choreographer gets paid, the director gets paid, the music director gets paid. Um, Lighting designer, I I may have missed somebody. Costume designer, they all get paid. It's only the actors that don't. And that's just, that's more about tradition than anything else. That's That's the community part. The musicians are not part, they're not actors. They are part of the production team, and like all the rest of the production team, deserve to get paid. Okay, so everyone knows I'm coming from North Carolina. I want to go ahead and give this one. We have the same issue happening in D.C. Ticket prices are high, and some companies are still paying the same rate from 10 years ago. It's even harder now to find players since COVID. I'm going to pause there. COVID has changed a lot of things. Um... I mean, it actually changed me. I started this podcast during COVID, um, but I also started thinking about the economics of what I do. And, uh, you know, this was something that went away. Didn't have the option of playing live music in a theater. And, um, you know, I don't, this may be something for another podcast, but I don't feel the same way that I used to. I still really love the pit experience, but there's other aspects of putting a show together that I really found I don't miss. And, you know, so again, that's something for another time. But COVID has changed what a lot of musicians think about certain things. I think the misconception is that community theater musicians are volunteers. But from my experience, we we have to hire them and they don't have they don't sign up to volunteer their time. But my feeling is that theaters will keep paying those rates if people keep accepting those rates. I just said said that just a moment ago. That is that is definitely the case. I did respond to this person by saying, I wonder how much of that mindset is because in DC, so much of the entertainment is subsidized and considered free. You can go in some of the greatest museums in the world and spend days without spending a dime. Uh, last check, the Kennedy Center still has the Millennium Stage, at least that's what it used to be called, with a free 6 p.m. show every day in one of the lobbies. What you do pay for is very high, but the city seems to have a sharp divide between expensive and free rather than cheap. 
Um, another former guest. This this was just uh, his insight. There's a fairly simple answer for the musician. Set a lower limit that you will not accept work below. Once you begin to say no and also explain what you would need to say yes, you will still get the same amount of work. You will just get better paying gigs. The fear that all my gigs will dry up generally keeps musicians paying, playing for low wages. Another theater musician responded with concerns, uh, you know, kind of fears about taking this approach. And, um, and then this guy came back and said, I think your concerns are real. I can only relate my own experience. A few years back, I was playing 20 to 25 shows each year for whatever was being offered. Some paid well, some not so well. I then set a fairly modest lower end to what I would play for. for the f- and, and in the first year, my schedule lightened and my total musical in- uh, theater income dropped, but only by about 10%. By the end of the year, I was filling the schedule back up. In year two, I was pay, playing about 12 to 15 shows and making close to double the income that I had been when I was playing 20 to 25. In year three, I raised my minimum once more and continued to play 10 to 12 shows each year while, again, increasing my income from musical theater works. Now, all those shows I turned down were, of course, taken on by other players. There's nothing I can do about that as it really is none of my business. I'm raising my lower end rate again in 2023. My goal is to whittle down the schedule to six to eight well-paid shows each year. At this point, two are booked at the new rate or above. I've been quite surprised at how quickly my schedule filled after the low-paying shows were cleared off. So if you're a musician just with interest, you want to play in theater, but you want to be well compensated, well, this comment is definitely the hope for you. This is... Um, you know, ask and you shall receive. I found that to be be the case. Many musicians can attest that that is the case. My comeback to this response, though, is if you are a musician in your community and you want to see the theater succeed and you want to be part of it, you don't want to just go somewhere else because it's well-paid, but you want to play for your hometown. And you want, if not, you know, like the the most money you can make, you at least want to feel like your compensation is fair. Uh, and by the way, I, I, if, if all of you are wondering, well, like how much do you get paid? Again, I'm trying to avoid numbers, but I will just say that there are a lot of theaters around here that when you divide the hours by, or say when you divide the total amount being paid by the hours spent, not even practicing, but in the pit, um, there are some retailers hiring more per hour right now. And the skill, skills required are not even remotely similar. I want to take a brief break so you can hear a word from our sponsor. My name is Eric Branner. I'm the CEO and founder of Fonz.com. I'm also a third-generation music teacher. We started Fonz because I desperately needed software to run my music school more efficiently and professionally. Fonz design is sleek, modern, and minimalist, but its focus is on maximizing your revenue, building your business, and facilitating trust with your students. In a recent survey, the average studio owner said using Fonz saved them 10 hours each month in admin tasks, and 88% of the teachers said using Fonz significantly improved their job satisfaction. Perhaps the coolest part about Fonz is the community of providers we're building and how we're working together to elevate the amazing work we get to do as independent music teachers. Sign up today for your free trial at Fonz.com. Book a demo with our team and see all the ways Fonz can help you earn more while creating a greater impact on your community. Thanks. 
You can get your free trial of Fonz for two weeks by clicking on the link in today's show notes or at the website lifeinthepitpod.com. Okay, back to uh, just some comments. So I found this one very interesting. So my area, one of the things it has going for it, you know, the reason there's so many musicians in this area is there's so many colleges with music programs. Um, I think just off the top of my head, there are five pretty good colleges, I think actually six, you know, within an hour's drive. And, um, you know, one of them's definitely classified as a conservatory. The other one um, has a doctoral program in music. And, uh, you know, this person said that um, it's a very difficult to be, position to be in in this area. I'm currently back um, for my third school job since retiring twice. I'm playing as much as possible, but there seems to be a DMA, <laughs> Doctorate of Musical Arts, on my instrument on every street corner. It's very difficult to keep your foot in the door. Someone else will get the job and possibly hold it for a dozen years. Uh, just recently, I was told about one show that they did not have a budget to hire my instrument. Then I was told about another show that I could come on in as an unpaid substitute. Um, and that is, that is tough. Uh, it is tough when musicians are not united. This is what is good about a union. <laughs> it unites people in a common thought. It's very hard for any change to be made as long as there's anybody with any decent skill willing to take less. Um, this this next comment, this is also a conversation that should be happening around the fundraising team's table. I think this is the ultimate answer. Ch no change is going to happen until board members of theater and you know executive directors have sympathy for, for this cause and are willing to take actions and to discuss, you know, how this can improve. Here's some good news from a former guest. He said, I just got my musicians a raise for the next season. First time a theater in this area has given a raise in over 20 years. Here's a comment from a local colleague that I thought was really powerful. I remember over 25 years ago playing for some of these theaters and making the exact same amount as they are paying now. There's a guitar player who used to do shows around here back when I was doing them who completely stopped doing them about 10 years ago for this very reason. The truth is, theaters will only pay as little as they can get away with. It is completely the fault of the musicians for allowing it to go on this long. Musicians are like other artists. They're so desperate to go out and do their craft that they are willing to undercut everyone to do so. Photographers are the same way. For years, I had a really good corporate photography business that I eventually had to put on the side because there were so many people trying to get into the business where they drove down the prices down to where it was no longer worth doing as a profession. Theaters will not change out of the goodness of their hearts. The only thing that will affect change is musicians saying no. Ah, uh, I don't... I don't have anything to add to that. I'm still on the local thread, um, and there's so many other things that I could read, so many gems. I just want to thank all of my friends and colleagues for, you know, just contributing to this. This is a really long thread. Um, I, want to, I want to read the response that I gave, and, and certainly 
feel free to to chime in. You know, if you're listening to this episode, see where I where I am in the process. I said I am moved by how much this resonates with so many of you. Here are my thoughts in no particular order. One, music directors united is the best first step. Yes, we should bump up our own fee. But before saying yes to a theater gig, ask, how much are the musicians getting paid? And if the answer is low and inflexible, we need to have the courage to decline. Two, identify the theaters with executive directors who are sympathetic to this issue. I personally know one, but if two or three of the bigger ones could get the ear of music directors, they could set a trend that would eventually be followed by others. And if not, number three, musicians. Stop saying yes to the gigs that don't even meet the average for a community theater gig. When all they can get are high schoolers from their local band, they too may change. Four, back to music directors. There are new theaters forming every year in, every year in this area, probably one to two per year since I've been active. If you can get in on the ground floor, have the board understand from day one that they need to be leading the charge to more reasonable pay for musicians. And if they do, prioritize working with these theaters. Turn the other ones down and really try to work with these. Um, as a as a former guest, and I was, and, I'll, and and again, this is my comment, so I'll say who the guest was. Um, this was Butch Marshall, and he said this in his book that I promoted. As a former guest on my podcast, suggested try to get theaters to sell sponsorships for musicians. People will spend five hundred dollars to a thousand dollars or more per year for their name on a chair. Well, how about their name on a chair that is occupied by the guitarist for at least two shows per year? Or how about just that money dedicated to boost a general fund available for musicians? If you're in a pit, you've no doubt had audience members say how much it it adds to having live musicians. Some of them like to donate and might donate for this cause. And I got to say, I really love that idea. I think that is a winning idea if you can get board members to embrace it and to promote it, you, they could pay their same budget, but they could add to it what comes from a fund so that they're not giving a raise, but they plus the audience are giving a raise. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the thread that I had that was the more national, international one. And it is so long, I won't read most of the comments, but I just want to highlight a few um, just, it just shows that this is the same all over. Someone says, unfortunately, I have zero say with a community theater group. I get a number and I have to make it work. As a music director, I've, I've never done the, the breakout, but with all the time I spend teaching and practicing tech and shows, I don't think it's more than $5 an hour. Um, but I don't do this for a living. I have a day job and music only represents 25% of my income. So it, it might not matter to me. Uh, am I pleased no, this is this this comment was really amazing, and I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ahead and say the state because this surprised me. Uh, I'm tired of being a volunteer music director. In California, you can't hire plays you can't hire players for less than minimum wage, which is now often less than what companies were paying per service. That hasn't changed in 20 years. The union is useless to everyone except the top tier around here. 
The only trick I can use is when I hire players is demand control, total control of the budget, no matter what it is. So I won't let a company say your budget is $100 per show and you must hire 10 players and pay them $10 because that's what we've done before. I'd rather say we're hiring one person and paying them $100 per show. Here's a comment that says, on the one hand, I get it. Small theaters are running on such limited budgets and no department has enough of the budget to go around. But on the other hand, I have trouble hiring people with the necessary skills when I know full well that they can go into a, get a random bar gig for at least twice the pay almost any night of the week. So I'm stuck either scraping the bottom of the talent barrel or pressuring my friends, acquaintances into taking a loss to do a show for me. I recently did a tracked show. It was awful. I have never had a more soul-sucking gig sitting down alone at an empty pit conducting a computer. I refuse to work for that company again unless they give an actual budget. I'm trying to rally other local music directors to do the same, but I can't get to everyone. So shows will, of course, continue to get produced with these conditions. I give my best arguments everywhere I work, but I feel like I, I can't make any progress alone. There's all almost always someone willing to work cheaper. It's a tough problem. Uh, someone had quite a bit to say, but they will be a future guest on this podcast, so I'm going to save my questions to talk a little bit about this uh, when they come on. It'll be a little bit later this year. This comment says, When I was doing primarily community theater work, I was lucky enough to have a lot of great musicians who were more interested in playing for the experience, joy, togetherness, and quality of the show rather than a paycheck. Now, granted... We almost all had full-time or near-full-time job, and this was a side job. But it was that atmosphere that I, cr I tried to create. I did spend several years through uh, building up a relationship with the artistic director and board members, and when a season was announced, I would, I would provide them with a budget, showing them what a full pit, a reduced pit, and a really crappy reduced pit would cost, and would try to ensure that larger works had more people, etc., this also got me into helping them really plan a season and not put three or four huge shows back to back. Eventually, I started pushing for more pay. We got modest increases, not anything livable, but enough to show appreciation to the players and the direction team. I think it also comes down to a philosophy of music direction as a profession. If you want to make it, quote-unquote, what you do and treat it like a regional house with competitive pay, you are probably going to struggle and hit a wall. If it's truly done out of love for the art form, a community spirit, and bringing the piece to life in a place where maybe a higher tier production isn't available, then you may find more, you may find more enjoyment. If the whole thing is about the money, though, I think you will need to either A, seek out grants or a donation to supplement the theater budget, hopefully with the backing of the board, or B, get more involved on the board level and fight the fight on a budget end. If you've never served on a nonprofit board before, it might be eye-opening just to see how tight those budgets can be in all departments. Probably some unpopular opinions on this answer, but these are my thoughts. And there's more, but I'm at the 48-minute mark, and I, I really think that that was really the best response to the situation. So this discussion is far from done. And why did I even come here to kind of air this podcast? Um so for a few reasons, a lot of you are not pit musicians, but you're fans of theater. And, and I wanted to just kind of make this issue aware. Um, because one thing that I was not sure of until a couple of weeks ago is that 
if if you are in an area with community theater, this is most likely a problem. There might be maybe one percent of the communities around here where it's not. Also, musicians, you know that you're not alone. And of course, I know a lot of you. Again, you are high quality musicians who, um, you know, you you get your income from somewhere else. The, what you get here is just a bonus. So. Um, I know a lot of you may have, you know, different feelings about this. Some of you may be even more anxious to improve conditions, and and others of you, uh, others are just, you know, you're you're doing this for the fun of it, and so it's a complicated issue. But I think we have a few suggestions we brought forth, and it's something that I definitely want to touch on in a future episode, but not the next episode. I do have a guest coming up, um, so I would go ahead and just say, while I'm thinking of it. Any good thoughts, vibes you'd like to send my way for a successful recovery from this oral surgery, the better. And if all goes well, I'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Perillo for the cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback, or donation at lifeinthepitpod.com. Please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.